Welcome to the markets. Dateline Chicago, Friday, August 30th. Hello, everyone, along with Max Armstrong and the rest of our crew, Orion Samuelson here to talk about what happened this week on Wall Street in feedlots and in wheat and corn and soybean fields. It's our weekly get-together to talk about all aspects of the markets, and it's the kind of a week that uh, has some different things happening because it's ahead of a three-day holiday weekend. If anything makes traders nervous, it's three-day holiday weekends because if something happens in other parts of the world, they can't react in the marketplace, really, in the U.S. marketplace until Tuesday. So, as we always do, let's begin with the numbers on Wall Street. The Dow Jones Industrial Average ended the day up 28 points. 26,390. The S&P 500 down about uh, half a point, ending the day at 29.24. And the NASDAQ down 16 points at 79.57. Fairly quiet day on Wall Street. And as several traders said to me when I talked to them on the phone, uh, trading population is lighter than usual because a lot of the traders are gone making it a long holiday weekend. For the week, the S&P actually gained two and three quarter percent. The Dow gained three percent and the Nasdaq gained two and two thirds percent. For the month, the S&P down one and three quarters percent. The Dow down one and three quarter percent. The Nasdaq down two and two thirds percent. The S&P 500 has the highest percentage weekly gain since early June and the deepest percentage monthly loss since May. The Nasdaq had the highest percentage weekly gain since June and the deepest percentage monthly loss since May. So let's take a look at some of the action that impacted today's closing prices, keeping in mind that when the markets close, they will not begin trade again until Tuesday morning. It was a lackluster session on Friday on Wall Street. Investors cautious ahead of a holiday weekend in which a fresh round of U.S. tariffs on Chinese imports were due to be levied. And while the S&P 500 registered its biggest weekly gain since June, August had its biggest monthly decline since May. Investors had fled risky assets in August due to the escalation in the U.S.-China trade war and the inversion of a key part of the U.S. yield curve, which is often a recessionary signal. U.S. financial markets, of course, will be closed on Monday for the Labor Day holiday, and a new round of U.S. tariffs on some Chinese goods expected to come into effect at midnight on Sunday. Trading volume today was light, and 
we uh, see that uh, the uh, all the indices on Wall Street uh, also had very light activity. One analyst said people are becoming more defensive going into the weekend because we have three days where we can't react to news and it's three days that have a lot of uncertainty associated with them because of the tariffs. Right now, everything is evolving around the trade complex and probably will be for the remainder of this year. Since bonds have recently outperformed stocks, investors may have taken early action to rebalance their portfolios for the end of the month due to the long weekend. U.S. consumer spending increased solidly in July as households bought a range of goods and services. And while this could allay financial market fears of a recession, a survey from the University of Michigan, also out today, showed its consumer sentiment index in August dropping by the most since December of 2012. The consumer discretionary sector was the S&P's biggest drag as Alta Beauty, which had been the S&P's top performing stock in Wall Street's decade-old bull market, tumbled 29.6% after the cosmetics company cut its full-year profit forecast. One of the biggest percentage gainers on the benchmark index, Campbell Soup Company, which jumped 4% after its quarterly profit beat estimates. Advancing issues outnumbered declining issues on the NYSE today by a 1.38 to 1 ratio, and the S&P 500 posted 36 new 52-week highs, no new lows. The Nasdaq recorded 37 new highs, 62 new lows. And to give you an idea of the drop in trading volume today, volume on the U.S. exchanges, 5.77 billion shares. That compares with the 7.13 billion average for the last 20 trading days. Checking the oil market. Of course, there's the hurricane moving into uh, the East Coast. Oil futures down with crude down nearly 3% ahead of that hurricane that's near the Florida coast that could dampen demand, but prices were still headed for the biggest weekly increase since early July, boosted by the easing of the U.S.-China trade rhetoric. Brent crude futures fell 65 cents a barrel to settle at $60.43. West Texas Intermediate Crude, Futures settled down a dollar sixty one or two point eight percent at fifty five dollars and ten cents a barrel. U.S. crude oil output fell for a second straight month in June, dropping by 33,000 barrels per day. That according to the U.S. Information Administration. And in an indication of future production, U.S. energy firms cut 12 oil rigs in the week to August 30th, bringing the total count down to 740.
two. Meanwhile, the Organization of the Petroleum Exporting Countries' oil output rose 80,000 barrels a day in August, and that's the first monthly increase in OPEC production in a year. So now that we've looked back, uh, let's look ahead as much as we can because of the long weekend. But on the U.S. economic tap, a report from the Commerce Department Wednesday expected to show a $53.5 billion trade deficit in July. Trade deficit in the month before was $55.2 billion. Thursday, the ADP National Employment Report expected to show U.S. private employers dropped to 148,000 in August from 156,000 in July. Non-farm payrolls went down 159,000 jobs in August, down from 164,000 jobs in July. And that's what the Labor Department report on the monthly changes in employment likely to show on Friday. The analysts are also expecting the unemployment rate to remain unchanged at 3.7% in August. And separately, the Labor Department is expected to report factory orders for July went up by 1% in June. IHS Market expected to report its final PMI measure on domestic factory activity and new orders for U.S. manufactured goods on Thursday. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell is scheduled to participate in the Economic Outlook and Monetary Policy Panel discussion at an event hosted by the Swiss Institute of International Studies at University of Zurich. That will take place on Friday. Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago President Charles Evans will give welcomes and opening remarks, and he will speak on the economy or monetary policy before forging a new path for North American trade, the auto sector, that conference in Detroit on Wednesday. The head of American International Group's General Insurance Unit is expected to speak at the KBW Insurance Conference on Wednesday in New York. Also on Wednesday, cybersecurity firm Palo Alto Networks expected to report an increase in fourth quarter profit and revenue backed by higher demand in its cloud security business. Canadian athletic apparel maker Lululemon Athletica Incorporated expected to post a higher second quarter profit on Thursday, helped by its online momentum and new product offerings. And investors will be looking out for the company's strategy to push into menswear, dominated by players like Nike and Under Armour. Bank of Canada expected to release its interest rate decision on Wednesday. Central Bank there is expected to hold rates at one and three quarters percent. Canada's trade balance data for July set for release on Wednesday. Statistics Canada expected to report unemployment rate for August on Friday. So looking at the first trading day of the week, 
Commerce Department expected to report U.S. construction spending rose three-tenths of a percent in July after dropping one and a third percent in June. The Institute of Supply Management, likely to show its index of national factory activity in August, fell to 51 from 51.2 in the month before. Federal Reserve Bank of Boston President Eric Rosengren is likely to speak on the economy at an event hosted by the Stonehill College Meehan School of Business in Easton, Massachusetts. And Italian-American machinery maker CNH Industrial scheduled to meet analysts to discuss long-term targets, strategic initiatives, and medium-long-term port Folio view. So, plenty going on next week to uh, keep the markets, uh, I guess, interested in just the four days of trading that they're going to have next week. Well, I spent uh, three days this week in Decatur, Illinois, the Farm Progress Show. I want to share some thoughts and impressions of that show and people I talk to when I continue here on The Markets. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is here to help. Well, Max Armstrong was a very busy man this week at Farm Progress Show in Decatur, Illinois, because he was there for the entire event. I spent the week flying in and out of Farm Progress Show at Decatur because uh, room availability is not very good wherever you find the Farm Progress Show. For those of you not familiar with the Farm Progress Show, it started in the early 1950s, and it is the biggest outdoor farm equipment show in the country. Tulare in California has the World Expo in uh, January, but uh, I think this one at the Farm Progress Show is still bigger. And this year was interesting for many reasons. First of all, it seemed to be the year of the big tractors. Several of the farm equipment companies introducing new, larger horsepower tractors at the show. Kind of interesting to me and also to some farmers I were talking to saying it's interesting that in this time of financial distress for a lot of farmers, farm equipment companies are turning out new products and bigger products. The buried industries tents were packed once again with companies producing many different programs for farmers and ranchers, from computer technology to crop protection chemicals to um, fertilizer companies. A lot of interest in that. And, of course, at the Farm Progress Show, always a lot of interest in the ride-and-drive track because there you can actually get on the ATVs and the other vehicles of that type and drive them and find out for yourself what they are. But the reason the Farm Progress Show has been around 
as long as it has, it provides side-by-side harvest demonstrations in the field. Now, it was interesting this year because of the late planting season. As a matter of fact, Matt Youngman, who runs the show, said they changed the corn varieties several times and finally found a seed corn variety of 77 days. I had never heard of that before. but And a lot of farmers I talked to said, we haven't either. But planting 77-day corn, they did have it ready so it could be harvested, and farmers were in the field walking side-by-side with the various combines, seeing what was coming out of the auger and what was coming out of the back end, and always leads to a lot of interesting discussion. But as I looked around the show for the three days I was there, I said to the audience in the entertainment tent uh, on one of the three days that Max and I were on stage together, I said, I think if each one of you in this building here at the show would buy one of every product on exhibit in the 600 uh, exhibit uh, companies on the grounds of the Farm Progress Show, I think you'd probably write a check for well over a billion dollars when you add up the cost of the tractors and of the combines and of the tillage equipment and all of the computer technology. It would probably be two or three billion dollars if you were to buy one of each. We had the opportunity also on stage to interview the state directors of agriculture for several states in the Midwest, ranging from Nebraska to Iowa to Ohio and other states in between. And it was not surprising but interesting to see how much the reports on crop production from those states were as seen by the directors or secretaries of agriculture. Uh, Some states saying in one end of the state, pretty good. Other end of the state, not so good. And then I had the opportunity every day to interview three market analysts on stage at the University of Illinois tent. And uh, every one of them, when I'd ask them what they thought the crop would be, what the size would be, and what the quality would be, they all kind of shook their heads and said, we probably won't know until October. And a couple of them said it'll be November before we know, before the uh, combines really do the major part of the harvest work that has to be done. And uh, all of them said that while farmers like to have the combine parked and put away by Thanksgiving Day, it could very well be Christmas Day this year before they wind up everything they have to do. The other interesting visit we had on stage at the entertainment building, Max Armstrong and me, Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue joined us on stage. And I had something happen during an interview that I've never had happen before. Because while the Secretary was on stage with Max and me answering our questions, his cell phone rang. He pulled it out of his shirt pocket looked at it and said, oh, I guess I better take this. And who was the next voice we heard? President Donald Trump talking to the farmers that were gathered in the tent, 
talking to the Secretary of Agriculture uh, about plans that he had. Some of the farmers in the audience uh, listened with a lot of skepticism, I'm sure, because of past performance. But it was interesting because I have never had an interview interrupted by a phone call from the President of the United States. And it was kind of interesting because Secretary Perdue at a couple of times tried to interrupt because he wanted to get to the end of his presentation and uh, he couldn't even interrupt the president because the president uh, kept on talking and making his point about agriculture and ethanol and all of the other things that he talks about with his uh, agricultural folks because uh, Secretary Perdue said, Max asked him, do you talk to the president very much? And he said, yes, I do. At midnight, at 6 o'clock in the morning, when my cell phone rings, that's when I talk to the president. So that was one of the uh, interesting aspects of the Farm Progress Show this year. The other interesting aspect for me, as many of you know, I have the opportunity to fly in a Cessna 210, which means instead of the commercial airplanes that are at 40,000 feet, we are at 3,500. And as I flew over the farmland of the Illinois, once again, impressed so much by the scene below me, the farms and the work that the surveyors for this country did what, two centuries ago, when they laid out all these squares that are still there, a few changes because of waterways and roadways, but pretty much still a straight square pattern that you obviously see from the air. And the other thing that uh, I couldn't help but thinking, how much fuel do farmers and ranchers use to produce the food and the energy and everything else that comes off our farms of all kinds, how much fuel does it take? Because when you looked at those fields, you realize they have to run over the entire field in the spring at uh, tillage time. Not so much tillage anymore because of no-till, but they have to run over it to plant it. Then they have to run over it to spray it. And then they have to run over the field again to harvest it. And... How much fuel can that take? And I hope that people who are not involved in agriculture will give some thought to how many jobs away from the farm and the ranch depend on America's farmers and ranchers because it's a big amount of jobs that do that. So once the show ended on Thursday evening, the exhibitors started loading up and packing up to head, head west because the next big outdoor farm show comes up September 10, 11, and 12. It's Husker Harvest Days. That takes place in Grand Island, Nebraska. And the highlight of that show is the irrigation systems that are now available for farmers to get moisture and water on the soil. And uh, haven't been to the Husker Harvest Days for probably four or five years, but I've attended it many years before that. And it was always fascinating 
to see the equipment and the fact that now farmers can turn on the irrigation systems by their cell phone from wherever they are. They can turn on the watering system and they can turn off the watering system. So give some thought to the contribution that America's farmers and ranchers may make to the overall employment situation here in the United States, as well as to our well-being by producing all that good food. I'll be back to uh, talk about the closing markets for agriculture when we continue here on The Markets. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is here to help. Taking a closer look at agricultural markets and news affecting agriculture, let me begin with a story that uh, some corn producers and ethanol producers are maybe going to take with some skepticism because of previous history. But here's the headline. President Trump promises, quote, giant package related to ethanol to please farmers. On Thursday, the president said his administration is planning a, quote, giant package related to ethanol that would please U.S. farmers, angry that many more oil refiners have been freed from the obligations to use the corn-based fuel and uh, clashes between farmers and the oil industry over biofuel policy have passed a ch- uh, posed a challenge for President Trump, who really is counting on both constituencies for political support ahead of next year's presidential election. But let me share this quote from the tweet from the president. The farmers are going to be so happy when they see what we are doing for ethanol, not even including the E15 year-round, which is already done. He went on to say it will be a giant package. Get ready. At the same time, I was able to save the small refineries from certain closing. Great news for all. Now, the president did not offer details on what the giant package would entail. The E15 mentioned by the president is a higher ethanol blend of gasoline. The U.S. renewable fuel standard requires refiners to blend biofuels like ethanol into their fuel, but does allow the EPA to grant waivers from the obligation to financially troubled small facilities. And the EPA announced this month a decision to grant 31 such waivers to refineries, a level that the corn lobby called excessive, saying it would undermine biofuel demand. And they weren't, uh, they weren't quiet about their feelings on it. And the oil industry, which dislikes the biofuel mandates because they cut into its market share, has said it would oppose any efforts to further bolster ethanol. So what are we going to see? Could be an interesting time. Secretary Purdue at Farm Progress Show said he also proposed strength 
strengthening U.S. infrastructure to allow more widespread use of E-15. The Trump administration in June lifted a summertime ban on E-15 use that had been imposed by the administration of former Democratic President Barack Obama. The oil industry, as I said, is going to fight this one. And farmers, I think, are going to be a little bit skeptical of how giant the package will actually be when it's finally released and comes out. Also want to talk about the fact that uh, the national corn growers and the national pork producers pleased with the announcement that we have an agreement with Japan on trade. However, they again will have to wait and see what kind of activity that's going to promote. But uh, Japan is a big buyer of U.S. corn and a big buyer of U.S. pork, so pork producers were happy with that announcement by the president. Speaking of pork producers, the uh, organization will hold its Fall Legislative Action Conference in Washington, D.C., September 11 and 12. That biannual fly-in draws more than 100 pork producers from around the country to meet with Congress to discuss various issues, including ensuring congressional ratification of the U.S.-Mexico-Canada Agreement, appropriations funding for 600 new U.S. agricultural inspectors to prevent the spread of foreign animal diseases to the United States, African swine fever safeguards, and regulatory oversight of gene-edited livestock with USDA, not the FDA. And uh, speaking of the livestock industry, uh, Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue did say that uh, he has ordered an investigation into beef pricing margins after a recent fire at the Tyson Foods processing house in Kansas pushed margins to record highs. The indefinite shutdown of the plant tanked cattle prices as farmers worried they would not be able to sell their livestock in a timely manner. So we ended the week uh, with pretty much a red screen on the grain market, pretty much a red screen on the livestock futures market as well. Have a safe holiday weekend. Be careful if you're driving on country roads. And we look forward to having you join us again next week on The Markets.